0: I hear the voice of many angels singing, Worthy is the Lamb, and I hear the cry of ever-longing heart, Worthy is the Lamb, and I'll rise on eagles' wings before my God fall on my knees. That's a picture of what we're going to see today as we read our text in Revelation 5. The truth is, is that I want to remind you of what we talked about last week, because some of you were not here, and some of you may not remember what we talked about last week. But the truth is, we're now in the throne room, chapter 5. We're in the throne room of God, and uh, uh, there's a scroll in the right hand of the one who sits on the throne, and uh, the, that is the title deed to earth. And if, and if earth and all its people and all creation is going to be redeemed, that scroll that has seven seals on it, those seals have to be uh, snapped. And it has to be opened so that we could be redeemed. And in heaven, they searched to find somebody who was worthy to open the scroll. We talked about that last week. It had to be somebody who had the right to open the scroll. And they searched In heaven, they searched on earth, they searched under the earth, that's the bad place. They searched everywhere, they didn't find anybody, and then finally they saw him. Jesus, he was at the throne. And we pick up in verse 7, and it says, You want to stand as we read God's word, please? It says he that would be Jesus the lamb went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one who seated on, who was seated on the throne <clears throat> and when he took the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song. <clears throat> you are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. Then <clears throat> I looked. And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. Also of the living creature and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven On earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father I pray that today That you will open our ears You'll open our eyes You'll open our hearts You'll open our souls You'll open our spirits That we will receive What you want us to receive today That we will respond the way That you want us to respond today So that we can worship you The way you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Thank you. you. may be seated. As I said when I started, we are in the very throne room of God. And I want you to look at verse 14. The last phrase, and the elders fell down. And worshipped. That's why today the title of the message is "Authentic, Heavenly Worship." What comes to your mind when somebody uses the word, or you think of the word, worship? Most of us think us gathering in a building like this. And we'll sing, or be sung to, we'll pray, may may take an offering, we'll preach, we'll invite, and then we'll go home. That's worship. The truth is, the truth is, most of us give it very little thought. But here's what I know from my experience behind the pulpit as a worship minister and as a pastor over the past 50 years. We as Baptists, if you can't laugh at yourself, you're going to be miserable today. We as Baptists really do our best to program everything we can program. And worship is no different. Personally, personally, I remember when it was required that we had to publish the order of worship in the bulletin. Now I don't know if it was an order because it was the command, well, I do, command the way you do it or particularly the, the um, sequence of events or whatever. And, you know, I can remember this because it was drilled into me. Every worship service had to do this. It had to start off with a prelude. Now, if you don't know what a prelude is, that's an instrumental that goes on before the service. Had to have a prelude. And then, <coughs> then there was the call to worship. What is a call to worship? Generally, it was done by the choir. They had to come in, Spirit of the living God, the Lord is in His holy. I mean, you had to do that. Now, there's nothing wrong with a call to worship. you just calling you into worship. Then you had this big word called Invocation. And most people don't know that. But invocation just means you're inviting God. What is, what is it in our terms today? It's an opening prayer. And then from there we'd go to a hymn. And then, and then we would have a welcome and announcements right in the middle of quote, a worship service. And then we'd have a, uh, another hymn. And then maybe we'd have a read, responsive reading or Bible reading. And then we would have another hymn. And then we would take the offering I was reminded of this this week. In some churches, when you took the offering, the men stood at the back until you finished, and everybody stood and sang the doxology as they come forward to put the offering on the table. Some of you remember that. You then we had the musical message or the special music, where preferred only the choir sang at that point. That was their part, and then the preacher would preach. Then we would invite. Then we'd have, uh, have the invitation, and then we'd have the benediction, and then have the postlude. Now. Now, the truth is, there's nothing wrong with any of those things as elements in the service, but they by themselves do not guarantee worship. In fact, I remember great, with pain, the first time we had our order listed and I left something out. And I was told about it. I remember the time that I had the order listed and I added something. I remember the time that... I changed something, God forbid. Somebody came up and said, you changed something in the bulletin. And I said, well, hang on. That may not be the first or the last time. You ask, why in the world are you walking through this? It's because it is important for you and I to know, admit, understand, and realize that our tradition and our opinions do not necessarily become from Scripture. I will offer this, is that as a, um, as a guy who was in worship, it was only in, the, in my lifetime that we've really talked about what does it really mean to worship the Lord. First thing I'd just bring to your attention is that worship in the 21st century American church is nothing like it was in the Bible, and certainly nothing like it was in the Old Testament. For you see, today, people tend to come into the building on Sunday morning or whenever you have worship service with the thanks to the church growth movement, and I can criticize it because I was a part of it for many years, is that with the idea, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? Do you realize that when in the Old Testament, they would not come to worship if they didn't bring something? They would bring an offering to the Lord. They'd bring animals. They'd bring other sacrifices. They'd bring gifts of gold. They'd bring, they'd bring, and then they'd bring themselves. And they came to respond to a God that they knew had been good to them all week long. They didn't have to come to get anything else. They came to give Him thanks, to give Him glory, to give Him blessing, to give Him praise. That was worship. In the Old Testament. I just... I have prayed. I have written. I have rewritten. And I have rewritten and rewritten. Because this message from this text should be a helpful message of not only salvation, but instruction. It should help us to understand what it means to worship. You look at that last sentence. The The elders fell down and worshipped him in the throne room. So let's just kind of make this personal. I want to ask you a question, and for goodness sakes, this is rhetorical, don't answer out loud, but answer before God. It's not a... It's not a Pentecostal question. It's not an Assembly of God question. It's not a non-denominational question. It's not even a Baptist question. It's a biblical question. How long has it been for you personally since in public or in private you have fell down in worship? the God of heaven. How long has it been since you've been so overwhelmed that you fell down and gave him the glory and the honor that was still him? <clears throat> now, I understand this. Pud and I was having, were having a discussion, what, Put a week and a half ago, of how hard it is in our culture to bow down before somebody. And Pud was making this point. He said, you know what? Part of our problem is we don't know what it is like to live in a kingdom. Because when you're in a kingdom, you fall down and worship the king. You give your homage to the king. And you don't have a choice. And so then when you come before the Father, then you can bow down. Here we are kind of our own made men. We think we're self-made. We think we're... We're so good and it's so hard to fall down and worship Him. If that's your attitude and you are, and you, I'm not bowing down. You will one day. You will one day. You may think it's goofy what what Brother Jerry is telling you, but I'm telling you, one day you will. So today from our text, I want to pull out three thoughts about worship. Three thoughts. The first one is the object. The object of our worship. All worship has an object. Whether it's the right one, whether it's the wrong one, it has an object. It can be sacred worship. It can be pagan worship. It can be uh, authentic worship. It can be artificial worship. It can be uh, genuine worship. It can be counterfeit worship. But all worship has an object. The very object of what you really worship, the very object of what you really worship is that thing or that person that you put all the attention on. All the focus is given. I believe it's up here. Do I have a little statement up there? Worship is that a genuine expression of praise and adoration and celebration and thanksgiving to God for who He is in what He has done for us and in us, and what, even what He wants to do through us. To think about all of this is to know that in our culture, many gods exist. Many gods exist. And we are subject... To give them our full focus and our attention, brother Jerry, you gonna listen? No, I will let you listen for yourself. You know what? You know what it is that takes your full attention, that has your full focus, that has your heart. Even in the in our verse nine, it says they sang. What's this? A new song. They sang a new song. Many in America, for many in America, the song is the God. For many in America, music is the God. And and I just tell you, as a professional musician for 50 years, I could ride that horse of style all day long. But you know what? I'm not going to talk about styles of music because we don't seem to have a problem around here. We can sing... We can sing praises to Him just about any style. But I am going to offer two cautions for anyone who's sitting here probably going, yeah, I have a problem with it. It's got to be my style. I'm going to offer you two cautions. Number one is that if your worship of Him is predicated on a music style, you have set a low bar for authentic worship. The second thing I would say to you, if that is your attitude, your object is all wrong. This week I was reminded of uh, of what we're talking about. I read two well-respected preachers, Bible preachers, and they were speaking on this topic. So I just put a statement together that is kind of what they said. Every generation has its own music. The issue is not style. But substance, what is substance? Does it express honor and blessing to God? Not does it run on all kind of other kind of issues, but does it? Is it pointed toward Him? Like it or not, our young people have taught us some things these days. We used to sing songs about God. They came along and they wanted to sing songs to God. And when you read here, when they did the new song, it was to Him. Now since I feel like I could talk a little bit about music and style let me just make this statement really clear there is not one note of music written in the bible there's not one melody written in, there are many songs many psalms but there's not one note of music written The truth is, is that people learn to say to him or about him what they want to say. If you look here, they sang a new song and it says, my translation, well, let me go back. The older translations say, thou art worthy or worthy art thou. Nothing wrong with that. Today we would say. You are worthy, are worthy are you. It's a song directly to him. The focal point of these elders, the focal point of the creature, even the focal point of the visitor in heaven, that would be John, was none other than to worship the one who deserves our worship. The lion, the lamb, the root, the king, the lord, the savior. It's Him, about Him. Attention on Him. Brother Jerry, why are you kind of passionate about this? I'll tell you why. I have a heartache and I have a conviction. And they're both one and the same. If we could ever, in our earthly worship... Restore the object of our worship to Him. To where we came in, where we came together, where we were alone and we were worshiping that was only on Him. We might see a revival in our midst like we've not ever seen. We might see the indwelling of the Holy Spirit like we've not experienced in years. We might see a refilling of God's house with those who have abandoned worship, and I think certainly if we were to do that, if we could restore that, is that the lost people in our community would hear about it and they would come because you know what the truth is? People out there are longing for an experience of the wonder of sensing the divine presence of Holy God. I read a report, I read a review, even this morning, about the movie The Jesus Revolution. They predicted the experts, and if you want to know what an expert is, an x is a has been, and the spurts will drip under pressure, okay The experts suggested that the Jesus Revolution movie would make seven million dollars. It made nineteen million the first weekend it was over. It's now at almost forty million. you know what you know what the you know what the commentator surmised, our country is hungry for things of faith, things that matter, for things of God. Guess what? And we are holding this chalice in our hands. If we restore this, what will happen? I believe God will show. I've asked you this question before, but it bears repeating. Have you? Have you ever walked into a place, a uh, place where they were about to do, have services, church? Have you ever walked in that place, and when you walked in, you just knew there's going to be something different? It's kind of like Jaron Davis wrote many years ago when he, when he wrote, penned these words. As I walked through the door, I sensed His presence. And I knew this was the place where God abounds. So this is a temple. Jehovah God abides here. And we're standing in His presence. On holy ground. The truth is, is when we make Jesus our object, extraordinary, supernatural things happen. When we come to corporate worship, brothers and sisters, what is really on your mind? Is it that the preacher's going to get up there and preach too long? Is it that the music's going to go on too long? Is it that the lighting is bad? Is it that somebody got my seat? I mean, even in this passage we hear Him talking about Jesus and the blood and and how how He shed His blood. But to ask you that question of what's going on in your mind when you come to corporate worship, it's not only a fair question, it is a needed question because it will both... Expose you and discover some things that you may not know. It may expose the truth of our hearts. It may uncover things that need to be uncovered. The answer to that question will reveal and expose us. Don't forget what the Bible says. What's... Covered down here will be uncovered up there. And what's uncovered down here will be covered up there. When I think of Reve- when I think of this Revelation 5 passage, when I think of authentic heavenly worship, I have to consider the message in Matthew 15. If you don't remember it, Jesus is with scribes and Pharisees, all the church leaders, they're going to church. He was talking with them. He quoted Isaiah, and this is what he said. Hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain. See, the truth is, is that in our worship it matters Where we're focused. It matters what our object is. It matters where our heart is. It matters. It matters. Authentic heavenly worship focuses on him. The object. second thing I want you to see is the objective. The objective. What was their objective here as we read? Well, obviously it's to bring... Honor and glory and blessing to none other than the one who is worthy. They want to praise Him. They want to give Him the worship due to Him because of who He is and because of what He's done. Have you lost the wonder of who He is and what He's done? Is He just somebody that kind of occupies some part of your life? Or is He the centerpiece of your life? Their object was Jesus. Their objective was to let all creation know about Him. They sang a new song. That's interesting. Now, they could have sang an old song, but do you know one of the reasons I believe it was a new song? They sang a new song because He had given them, everything He had given them was new. He came to them. He gave them a new heart. He gave them a new life. He gave them a new walk. He gave them a new talk. He gave them a new friend. He gave them a new destination. He didn't give them any hand-me-downs. He gave them something brand new in what they wanted to do. Was returned the favor to him. And not only did they sing, it says in verse 12 that they sang in a loud voice. Verse 13 seems to indicate that they sang all that was in them and, and everybody that was there sang to the top of their voices. Okay, check up. How does that compare to us? When it's time to sing a song of praise to the Lord, do we stick our hands in our pockets, fold our arms and say, Brother Eric, you're just trying to get me to worship. I'm here, that's enough. Well, you might be shocked. You might be shocked. Their object here and our object should be to take the attention off of ourselves, off of peripheral things, all our surroundings, and let's point everything to Him. At this point of our Scripture, all creation, everybody in the throne room was pointing to Jesus. Giving Him glory, giving Him honor, giving Him praise. The one worthy. The same one that was worthy then is worthy today. Worthy of our attention. Have you ever thought about... This fact that people can tell when you're in here, people can tell whether you're authentically worshiping or whether you're occupying a space. (laughs) Just occupying your space. Had an experience in this room last week. Julie was working and I sat in for her and I could see. I saw one of our young people shall remain nameless, have no intent to embarrass or thwart their worship. I saw one of our young people, as we were singing, Eric, eyes closed, hands raised down here. This is a Baptist church. We don't let hands get up here. They have to be down here. And You know I'm kidding. You want to raise your hands to the Lord, you feel free. Somebody gives you a hard time, you come tell me. She had her hands down here, her head extended, and all she was doing is trying to offer worship to our Lord. Likely nobody else in the building saw it except me and him. Make no mistake, he he knows. He knows what's in your heart. He knows whether you're worshiping or just taking up a space. The objective. To bring Him glory. To give Him praise. Outside of our comfort zone sometimes. There's one more thing. You've seen the host of heaven, the object of their worship, the objective of their worship. But I want you to see the outcome. We need to see the outcome because sometimes we don't see that. Now I love this. Now I'm going to ride this horse just for a little bit. Almost done. Please stay with me. Look down in verse 14, and the four living creatures said, "Amen, Amen." Now I want to tell you something. That word "Amen" confused me when I was a kid. And I'm going to take a minute to tell you about this. When I was a kid, I would hear people pray in public or at the, down the, around the dinner table where I was taught to pray. And they would always end up, uh, this may require some audience participation, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You get to church. In Jesus' name, amen. you get someplace else. In Jesus' name, amen. in my mind as a kid... I thought amen meant stop. Certainly stop the prayers. Then I got confused, Todd. I went to one of those churches that said amen when the preacher was preaching. He would say something. Amen! And I'm thinking, they're trying to get him to stop? And it normally had the reverse effect. The truth is, is that As you know, saying amen, this word means so be it. Let it be. May it be fulfilled. And in our vernacular today, it means I agree. I agree. That's why many times preachers, we pray a prayer, we say, and in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, we all agree. With all that's happened in this worship time, the, the living creature said, Amen, we agree. And you know what happened next? They did it again. They fell down and started worship service all over again. Because that's what happens. When true worship's in our heart, it's not a matter that we've endured it, it's a matter that we've enjoyed it and we're looking forward to doing it again. It points us to Jesus, it points us to the lion, the lamb, the root, the king, the savior. I really thought about how I wanted to kind of land this plane today. I want to give you a picture of the Old Testament. And then end with a couple of pictures on the screen and tell you how. Because it matters. Here's what I know the preacher would get up here and preach about authentic worship. Most of us are so, me included, most of us are so acclimated to how we were taught and trained to worship as kids that making the change to the authentic seems a little outside of our comfort zone. I remind you that in Exodus 32, sad picture. It's where the children of Israel had come out of Egypt and Moses and Joshua were on the mountain. And it seems to me, as I read the story, that the children of Israel never had faith in God, faith of their own. They had faith in Moses and they had the faith of Moses. So anytime Moses was absent, they did what they wanted to. So he was up on the mountain longer they thought getting the Ten Commandments, if you remember the story. Came down and Joshua said, That sounds like a battle. He goes, That's not a battle, cry. It's a party. That should that should help us a little bit. Worship's a party, it's a celebration. But here was the thing for the children of Israel. They had spent 400 years in captivity in Egypt under the Egyptian mythology. They were living on their faith of their mom and dad. They had escaped on the faith of Moses. And so when Moses was out, all they did was they reverted back to the God that they had learned to love and learned how to worship. And they got Aaron to make him one. Make him one. I don't, know, I don't know what your golden calf is, but I hope you'll melt it today. Let me just give you this picture. Two trees up here. I want to tell you how. I want to end with the how. One of them's a pecan tree, one's an oak tree. You're very familiar with them. Oak tree has acorns. Pecan tree has pecans. Both of those fruits have a hard exterior. If you take the pecan, you crack it, and it's ripe. And you eat it, it feeds you just a little bit. And it's done. If you take that pecan, conversely, and you put it in the ground, it dies to itself. The hard exterior... Becomes soft and it blossoms into a tree that can feed people for 300 years. Jesus said, unless a seed fall to the ground and die, it's not ever going to produce anything else. Here's what I'm going to tell you about about us and this thing of worship. It is time for us to cast off the worship of the things of the past. It's time for us to plant our seed into the Spirit of God. Let him soften us to change us. And then from us, become a fruit, a, tr- a tree with fruit on it. The fruit of worship. Sometimes we're like Moses. Excuse me, we're like children of Israel waiting on Moses. And we tend to go our own way when the Lord wants us to die to self and reemerge as something we can't even imagine with a spiritual sensitivity toward worship like we've never known. There exist many pictures in the Bible for worship. But I'll not, not forget this one. It's found in Nehemiah 8, verses 5 and 6. And we're trying to celebrate God. And you see it on the screen. It says, Ezra opened a book. That would be the Bible. It's not the Bible as we know it. It would have been the Torah, the law. But he opened a book. In full view of all the peoples, since he was elevated above everyone, as he opened it, all the people stood up. That was in honor of the book. That was in honor of who the book belonged to. That would be a good lesson for us to learn today. We shouldn't always have to be told when to stand and when to sit. There are moments in our lives when the supernatural is so evident that it's just time to stand or bow down. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. and With all their hands uplifted, all the people said, There it is. Amen, amen. Then they knelt low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. It's a picture of worship. Today, let's cast off the bonds of days past. And let's embrace worship. Heaven's way. Jesus died to give us new life. He died to bring us into the family. He shed His blood. He was slaughtered. He was slain for you and for me. Let's put our trust in Him and worship Him as the Lord of glory. Bow with me.